Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'll invite you to turn to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, starting a new series today that we've entitled uh, Stuff Christians Ought to Know. And so we're going to take a little break from Romans for a season and just answer the questions on why we do what we do um, as the gathered local church. And so we're going to ask the question today, why do we gather? Uh, if you were with us back in June, we did a, a series called Asking for a Friend where we answered submitted questions. And back in June, we, we looked at this idea of, can I be a Christian and not be involved in a local church? And so much of what we're looking at today may sound familiar, maybe an echo of some of those things we learned back in June. But um, so if you hear some things, you're like, oh, that sounds really familiar. It's because we talked about this a little bit back in June. If you hear this today and you were here in June and you're like, I, none of this sounds familiar, it means because you weren't paying attention, all right? <laughs> so uh, we're going to judge you on that. Hey, um, I'm going to take a, a personal moment here, and I'd like us to do something. So some of you may know um, a guy by the name of Tom Pendergrass. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, Tom is a pastor of a church down in Lebanon on the north side of Cincinnati, a church called Urban Crest. Uh, years ago, when we first started this church, Urban Crest was one of the very first churches to come alongside us and support us financially. Um, I got to serve on that staff for four years down there before moving to Marysville and then coming back here to Columbus to start a church. Well, about a week ago, Tom went in to get a mass in his stomach biopsied, and uh, through some unknown reason, a nerve was hit somewhere in his body, and the doctors cannot figure out what's going on. And uh, so Tom is one of three people I consider my pastor. Um, he spoke at our church a couple of times. He lets me come down and speak at his church. And uh, he just announced his retirement a month ago, and now after a week in the hospital, his pain is still up at about a nine. Um, they can't get it under control because they don't know what's going on. His blood pressure is all over the place right now. And uh, last night, he started to lose cognitive function, um, unable to form words the way that he wants to, unable to use his hands the way that he wants to. And so that's coming and going. Um, it's, it's a tragic thing that's going on. And um, so we're going to pray for him that the doctors would be able to figure that out. But we're also going to pray for Urban Crest because they're looking for a pastor. And uh, he was going to help with the transition as they did that. Just turned 67 years old, so he's not that old. Um, but there's just a lot of unknown variables. And so can we just join together as Living Hope and, and pray for Urban Crest and Pastor Tom? Father Jesus, we thank you, um, Lord, that you're a God that allows us to come to you in a posture of prayer. And so, God, I want to pray very specifically with my church family um, first and foremost, for my pastor, Pastor Tom. God, I pray that you would heal his body. Lord, we very selfishly pray that, uh, Lord, you would not take him home yet. Um, God, I'm a firm believer that he still has work to do here on this earth, that you've given him an influence and a platform, um, Lord, to spread your name literally around the world. And so, God, we do pray that you would give doctors there at Christ Hospital wisdom, uh, Lord, that they would be able to see things that they haven't seen yet so that, God, they could use means of medicine to heal his body. But, Lord, we also know you could do something miraculous as well. And so, God, we pray for that. Lord, we also want to lift up our friends and um, co-laborers in the gospel at Urban Crest in Lebanon this morning. God, I can only imagine the emotions that they're feeling today, um, Lord, as they gather at that church. And so, God, we pray for a peace that surpasses all understanding to dwell in their worship space this morning, um, that, God, that they wouldn't be worried about the future right now, but they would simply gather together as Urban Crest to pray for the healing of their pastor. And so, God, we come before you as living hope on behalf of our friends, 
on behalf of Pastor Tom, and God, we just ask that you would do something miraculous, whether through divine means or means of medicine, to heal him, and Lord, to make him whole again so he can continue laboring for the gospel's sake. Pray that you be with his wife, Donna. I pray that you be with his daughters and his grandchildren as they're around him in these coming days. Um, and Lord, we just beg you to move. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Hey, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to be all over um, the Bible this morning. And so if you're in Matthew 16, we're going to jump all over the place. One verse I want to read to us this morning, Matthew 16, verse 18, to serve as kind of a foundation for us today. It's Jesus' words when he says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What a promise. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word and for the gathered local church this morning. Jesus, we ask you that you would teach us today, mold us into the image and likeness of Jesus because we sat under the teaching of the scriptures this morning. And so, God, I pray that we would have open ears to hear from the throne room of heaven this morning through your word. God, would you give us soft hearts, not so that we could simply hear, but we want the word to change us from the inside out. And God, even beyond that, I pray that you give us obedient and willing and courageous hands and feet, because God, we don't want to simply be hearers of the word, but God, we want to be doers of the word. And so God, I pray that we live out what we encounter in your word today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. You may be seated. I shared this story back in June, so this may sound familiar, but whenever I think of our question today, why do we gather as the local church? When I think of the gathering of the local church, I'm always reminded of this story, and so I wanted to share it again. I think it was summer of last year, if my memory serves me right, we were leaving with a couple of teams out on Finding Hope Center deliveries, P.S. There's Finding Hope Center deliveries today after church, and so if you don't have anything going on, you need to stick around and help us. We'll even give you pizza for your time, all right? It's one of the greatest ministries you can be involved in in our church next to kids' ministry, next to worship ministry, next to first impressions ministry, next to kids' ministry, because they're all great, all right? But Finding Hope Center, I do have a soft spot for that. Anyways, we were out on these deliveries. We were coming towards the end of, of them, and there was an interaction that we had with a, a mom and some children that just rocked me to my core. We dropped off some furniture at an apartment. I can remember that um, interaction not far from here. My family was with me. We got back into our car, and as we were about to pull away, we kind of looked out of our windows off to the side, and we, we saw a mom and a couple of children who were sitting outside of their apartment. The mom was sitting in a lawn chair. She had a, a small child. I don't remember how old, but probably an infant of some age. And then there was a young child, maybe nine, ten years old, who was playing out front on the sidewalk. We're just about to pull away in our car after a long afternoon of these deliveries. It was hot. And my wife looked at me, you may remember this, and she said, you should get out and give them an invitation to church. Well, me being the strong leader of my home that I am, I try to lead my family and what it looks like to model the Christian faith. I try to set an example for my kids of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. I, I immediately stopped my car. I unbuckled my seatbelt. I looked there in the center console. I found a church invitation card, and I handed it to my wife and said, you do it. <laughs> So my wife, being the strong Christian woman she is, she jumped out of the car, and without any fear, she walked over to that family, greeted them. I don't remember all the intricacies of that interaction, but I know she made a statement like this to them. 
She said, we'd love if you came and visited us at church sometime. And listen to this. This this is why I always share this when we talk about the gathering of the church. Just a few miles from here. I mean, I, I could probably look up the address and take you to this place. It's not far. It's just over in Dublin. That after my wife extended that church invite, that young boy, nine or ten years old, the words out of his mouth just struck me to my core. Because he's not far from here. And he looked at my wife and he said, what is church? And it's always served as a reminder for me now just a year later that this thing that we call church, this gathering of Christians known as the local church, is such a blessing. Because there are people less than a few miles from here that have no concept of what it means to be involved in a local church. And they have no concept, no reference points of what a local church should be, what a local church is. They don't understand what it looks like to have family beyond your family. They have no concept of what the local church is. And that just always struck me. And it, it leads me to this simple question that I want us to consider today. And I hope you'll ask yourself this. Why do you participate in and invest in the gathering of the local church? Sometimes we can get caught up in the habit of doing this thing that we call church week in and week out, that we never pause and reflect on why do we participate, why do we invest in the local church. Now, the numbers may vary slightly. I did a little research this week, looked at several different research groups, and um, here's some sobering realities for us. Right now in our our country, there's about two-thirds of our nation that, quote, self-identifies as Christian. Now, we're going to give some grace to that definition just for the sake of argument, but on average, from what I was reading, about 63% of individuals in our country right now would claim Christianity as their faith. Again, loose definition with Christianity, but we'll just give them that. Yet here's what's interesting to me. Of all of those people in our nation, two-thirds roughly identify as Christian, only one-third gather weekly in a local church environment. Most statisticians would say about 36% of Americans gather weekly in local churches, and that number continues to plummet year after year. Again, giving grace and definitions, whatever it means to gather in the local church, but I think it gives us something to consider this morning. And I want to start just by the simple question, stuff Christians ought to know. Why do we do this? Why do we gather weekly with the local church? Is this necessary? We talked about it in June for the Christian life. And again, we may be echoing some of those principles from back in June, but I still hope this is helpful for you to really answer that question for yourself. Why do I participate in the gathering of the local church? Why do I invest myself in the gathering of the local church? I've got two points for us today, and I hope these are helpful for you. But number one, I think we need to understand when we ask the question, why do we gather, is that Jesus loves the gathering of the local church. We've seen in Romans over and over the past several weeks that when we were separated from God because of our sin problem, Romans 5.12 told us that we were dead in our sin. The Bible says that Jesus stepped out of heaven, John 1.14, stepped into human flesh, that's known as the incarnation of Christ, and he was on a rescue mission to bring sinners, bring humanity back to himself. One of the clearest scriptures that presents that mission of Jesus is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, where Jesus says this. This is what Jesus' mission was. 
For the Son of Man has come, that's the incarnation, to seek and to save the lost. For those of us who have repented of our sin and we've trusted Jesus as Lord over our life, now, if we've done that, we're part of this gathering that's known as the church. It's the gathering of followers of Jesus. We just read that scripture in Matthew 16 where Jesus speaks of that very thing. Matthew 16, verse 18. He says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, that's the the confession of who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, On this rock, that truth, Jesus says, I will build my church. And I love the promise that he follows up with. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there was this establishment of a new organization, a new family known as the church. And then now the gathered church is commissioned by Jesus for us to spread this message of what the Bible calls reconciliation with God to all of the world. And we continue to add people into this organization known as the church. We can read about that at the end of Matthew's gospel. This is what's known as the Great Commission. It's what the church is charged to do. You probably heard this before, starting in verse 19. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Make more Christ followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you teach them to observe everything Jesus commanded. And remember, he is with us always to the end of the age. The local church continues the mission of Jesus, sharing with those who are still separated from God by their sin, that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be made right with God again. That has been the message of Romans for us the past almost two years years. And when people make a decision to repent of sin and trust Jesus as their Savior, they're grafted into this new organization known as the church. So Jesus came, lived, died, resurrected, and he established and commissions the church, the gathering of followers of Jesus. But listen to this. This is one of the most important truths, I think, in all of Scripture, that the church was bought and paid for by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that's why he loves it so much. The church was paid for by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20 if you would like to, just a few pages over in your Bible. Paul is about to encourage here in Acts chapter 20 a group of pastors in a place called Ephesus. And listen to this charge and this commission that Paul gives these pastors. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, pastors, and elders to shepherd the church of God. And then circle this truth, the church of God, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. Jesus loves the gathering of the church. But then here's a second truth for us, and this is important as well. Point number two, the New Testament doesn't know the Christian apart from the gathering of the church. The New Testament doesn't know the Christian apart from the gathering of the church. We've, we've kind, of, kind of wafted back and forth between local church and then I've said church in general. Um, there's an understanding in the scripture that there's, there's kind of two expressions of the church. There is the universal church, we'll call that big C church. So right now in our world, approximately two billion people identify, self-identify as Christian. So we'd say that the big C church has two billion people globally involved in it. But there's also local expressions of the big C church. 
Think about this for a second. Of the 77 times that the word church is used in the New Testament of our Bible, the vast majority of those times are in reference to local gatherings of followers of Jesus. So we identify with the big church, but we can see all across the world, we can see in the scriptures that there are local gatherings of followers of Jesus known as local church. These are outposts of the big kingdom of heaven, local outposts of the kingdom of God, ambassadors for Jesus that we get together for our weekly meeting to go out and be light in the midst of spiritual darkness. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians when he wrote the church in Corinth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Means this isn't our home. Peter talks about that. Our home is in a place called heaven, but we're temporarily pioneers, sojourners here in this world. We gather together weekly. Why? Because we're outposts. This is the ambassador station of another kingdom that we belong to. So we get together to get our instruction, and then we are sent out as ambassadors into the world, messengers from another kingdom. And think about this. Every local church on planet Earth is another territory that's been claimed for Jesus. Nobody has authority over this place except for Jesus Christ and him alone. And here's the beautiful thing. God's given me the opportunity over the last 15 years to literally travel all around the world and see churches in some of the most crazy places. I've seen churches in like monstrosity, massive buildings that you pull up and you're like, I don't even know if I could go to church here because I'd never be able to find the bathroom and that would be an issue, you know? They're just so gigantic. I've seen and been a part of and taught in churches that are in, in mud huts, I've seen churches and been to churches that are in giant cities, churches that meet literally under trees in a field somewhere. There's churches all across the world of thousands of people and churches of less than 10 people, but each one is an outpost of heaven, and it's an outpost of of the kingdom of God here on earth, local churches. But think about our point. What was it? The New Testament doesn't know the Christian apart from the gathering of the local church because there's an assumption in the New Testament That if you claim to follow Jesus, that you will be part of the regular gathering of other Jesus followers. Now, let me give you some insight into this. Why does that matter? Why why does this local gathering um, matter? Why is it so important? There's so much we could cover here. I'm going to give you a few. First, in the New Testament of your Bible, your Bible has in the second half what's known as 27 books. There are a variety of letters and, and other documents The first five of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, are historical in nature. The Gospels in Acts tell of the earthly ministry of Jesus and then also the early history of the church. One of those books is prophetic in nature. It's the book of Revelation. You might have read that before. There's things that Revelation talks about that are of future events, things that are to come that have not happened yet. That leaves 21 more books in the New Testament of your Bible. Here's what's crazy to me. Of those 21 books, all of them are either written to a specific local church, a group of local churches, leaders in a local church, or Christians in a local church, all 21. The New Testament doesn't know the Christian apart from the gathering of the local church. Let me give you a few examples. First and 2 Corinthians were written to the people where? Corinthian church. 
Ephesians was written to people where? The church in Ephesus. Galatians was written to who? The churches in a region known as Galatia. First and Second Timothy was written to a pastor named Timothy who pastored a church in Ephesus. You get the picture. What's the conclusion? The New Testament doesn't know the Christian apart from the gathering of the local church. There's an understanding that if I've repented of sin and trusted Christ as my Savior, that I will place a high value on getting together with other like-minded people who believe the same things about Jesus that I do, who have repented of sin and given themselves wholly over to him. And we gather to ultimately be sent out. One of the most pervasive lies in our culture right now is that you can do Christianity alone. Right? We say it so much. Christianity is a personal decision to follow Jesus. That's 100% true. But the personal decision leaves you to a corporate identity, the local church. 100%. That's what's found in the New Testament. Now, think about this. In those 21 letters, there is a ton of instruction. There's a ton of commands that we find that are impossible for us to uphold unless we are regularly involved in the gathering known as the local church. You guys getting tired of saying local church yet? (laughs) I mean, think about this. Let me give you a few as to why this is so important. When Paul wrote that church in Ephesus, he spoke of the equipping that happens for the work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. And Jesus gave himself or gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers, verse 12, to what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. In the gathering of the local church, we are equipped by the pastors and teachers to be sent out as ambassadors of heaven in the world. How do we do? There's one reason. Pastors are here to equip you in your faith. You know the reason that myself and Joe and Seth and Andy and Mark, that we talk about all of these things with one another, that we study the Bible? I don't sit in my office and study the Bible just so I can go home and be like, Elizabeth, guess what I learned today? I do this because I want to pour the scriptures into the church that God has commissioned me to lead. I want you to be so equipped in the word of God that you head out into darkness absolutely fearless because you know what the Bible says on how you should live, and what the Bible teaches. This is where you get equipped for ministry. How do we equip you? I mean, think about this. When we gather as the church, we read the scriptures and we teach the scriptures every Sunday. If you ever come a Sunday here and we don't teach the Bible, go find a new church, because that's what we're about here. So we're for the gospels, because we're for the Bible. We want to teach the Bible. Paul talked about that when he wrote to Timothy, and Timothy leading his church there in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 4. Paul says, until I come, give your attention to the public reading of what? The scriptures. Give your attention to exhortation. That's like a strong encouragement. Give your attention to exhortation of what? Exhortation from the scriptures. Give your attention to teaching, he tells Timothy. Teaching what? Not self-help, not how to tie your shoes, not how to make a brisket. Teaching of the scriptures. Paul says that's why we get together so that you can be equipped through the teaching of the scriptures. Think about this. When we gather to be equipped, one of the things we do is we sing the Bible. You know, I rag on Pastor Joe a lot, probably more than I should, and I don't regret that. But one thing that I appreciate about him more than anything is the approach that he has always taken to the singing here in our church. 
Because what we sing comes directly from the Bible. We don't sing like Christian top 40 songs. We don't, do, we don't do those things. Pastor Joe literally has, I mean, records and records of songs that we sing where every verse of the song has the scripture references next to it. Because he sees it as his job, which it is, as a pastor of worship to get the word of God into the people of God through the avenue and method of music. So we sing the scriptures. Think about this, when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossian church, he said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another, how? Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. One of the ways that we get the scripture into one another, into the people of the church to equip them is through singing. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the magnitude of what Jesus did um, for us on the cross. Think about this. Paul wrote the Corinthian church and he told them, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, that's the Lord's Supper, welcome one another. We gather around the Lord's Supper to make sure that we don't forget the magnitude of the gospel. That we never forget what Jesus has saved us from and saved us for. We encourage one another in the gathering of the local church. In Hebrews, we read this very thing. But encourage one another daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. We gather in the local church to be equipped in the faith, to be sent out as ambassadors for Jesus into a dark world. And that's the rhythm that we need to be in. We gather, we scatter. We gather, we scatter. I heard one person describe it, it's like coals in a fire. You've seen this before, if you've had a bonfire this year. You think of those little coals in a fire. As long as you keep them in a little pile in your fire pit, they're gonna continue to glow red hot. But what happens when you spread them out? They start to dissipate that heat. So what do you do again? You bring them back together and those coals will start to reignite and light up again. That's what the local church does. We gather and we scatter and we gather and we scatter. We gather to be equipped and we scatter on mission. Let's hone in on that encouragement aspect for one moment. We gather to be encouraged one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, when Paul wrote the church in Thessalonica, he said, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. Again, a group of gathered believers told to do what to one another? To encourage one another. I'm not a rocket scientist, if that shocks you, by the way. In order to encourage one another, this is going to blow your mind. You have to be together. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, the Bible's not very complicated. In order for us to be encouragement to one another, that means there has to be some space that we exist in together. So how does the encouragement of 1 Thessalonians 5.15 play out? Here's some examples that I know that I've experienced that many of you have experienced. Perhaps it's the pastor teaching from a passage of scripture that speaks directly to the situation that you currently find yourself in. And God uses the pastor to encourage you. Maybe it's a song that the worship team leads us in that's rooted in the scriptures and it reminds your heart that Jesus has sole authority over your life even when everything around you, man, it sure seems like he might not. But the word through worship reminds you of that. Maybe it's that handshake or conversation that you need at just the right moment to remind you that you don't walk through this life alone. 
And that there's people in this space that love you and they care about you. Maybe it's the person that pauses to pray for you on the spot because you're in a tough situation and you don't see a way out. Maybe it's serving our kids right across the hall here and you start to see light bulbs and their minds go off and it's encouraging you that Jesus is raising up another generation of disciple makers. Maybe it's hearing the person next to you during worship singing the praises of God even though you know that they're walking through the darkest moment of their life right now but it encourages you because you know that they're trying to trust Jesus through it. In what other space can that happen except for the gathering of the local church? Here's another one. It's one of my favorites. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has equipped you with spiritual gifts to serve other people in the church. Romans 12, starting in verse 4, Paul told the church in Rome, we haven't got there yet. We'll get there in about three years in our study in Rome's. But it said, Romans, excuse me, it says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, different backgrounds, different stories, but we gather together as the body of Christ, the church and individual, individually members of one another, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. We don't believe that Christianity can be exercised as a spectator sport. Instead, it's a family that requires active participation by all members. Like this local body of believers here at Living Hope, we, we need you, if this is home, to come with the expectation and desire to serve other people in some way. The New Testament always teaches that the gathering of the church is not a gathering for us to take, it's a gathering for us to give. That Jesus has equipped us, me and you, everyone that's a follower of Christ to serve other people. We don't gather simply to receive, we gather to serve one another. There's a couple more. Why do we need to gather with the local church? We need spiritual authority in our lives. We need someone to shepherd us. Two scriptures Peter wrote in his letter, 1 Peter 5, in the same way you who are younger, be subject to the elders, to the pastors, to the overseers. The author of Hebrews wrote, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you and carefully observe the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. If we read those in context, we read throughout the New Testament, we see that local churches are led by a group of pastors and elders for a purpose to care for the spiritual needs and well-being of those in the church. That if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus has created you to need spiritual authority in your life. That we need pastors and elders that we, we submit ourselves to spiritually. So it always begs the question when we talk about those verses, which ones? Because if we don't identify with a local church in some capacity and we say, well, I'm just part of the big C church, right? I'm just part of the universal church. How do you live out these verses then? Because if you're just part of the big C church, the church universal, which, which elders do you submit yourself to? You can't submit yourself to the guy on the television screen because he doesn't know anything about you. But the New Testament forces us toward active participation in a local gathering of Jesus' followers so that there can be pastors and elders that can walk alongside us, spiritually speaking, in some of those tough seasons of life and even at times, even in the everyday times of life. And what better place for our pastors and our elders to shepherd you and your family 
than through the gathering of the local church. It's how we know what's going on with you. Tell us, talk to us, share with us. Let us shepherd you through those things because God has commissioned us to it and God has sovereignly placed you in this space so that we can do that very thing with you. That's our role as pastors in the local church. I'm almost done, I promise. I'm passionate about this, by the way. I love the gathering of the local church. One, one more here. In the New Testament, there's 59 what we would call one another or each other statements in the Bible. There, it means that there's commands um, that we are required to do to people who are of the same kind as us. When you see one another in the Scripture, it's talking about a Christian-to-Christian interaction that takes place. Now, here's a side note for you. That, that whole phrase, like, love one another, majority of the time in your Bible, that's a reference to a Christian loving another Christian, by the way. All right? That, well, that's free. Take that wherever you want it. All right? Christian-to-Christian interaction, things like love one another, encourage one another, build one another up, pray with one another, all of these things. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24, author of Hebrews said, let us consider one another. You can circle that. That's one of the 59. In order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. Ooh, there's a phrase there. We're not even going to cover that today. What did the author of Hebrews say? Don't neglect gathering together. There you go. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, there's this idea in the New Testament that we see over and over and over 59 different times that there's things that Christians need to do, Christian to Christian interaction, that we have to encourage one another, we have to love one another, we have to serve one another. How's that happen? Here it is, the gathering of the local church. 100% of the time. I shared this quote back in June, but I think it sums it up so well. It's from Pastor Mark Dever um, over in D.C. He said this. I love this. He said, as we gather together to worship God and exercise love and good deeds towards one another, we demonstrate in real life, you might say, the fact that God has reconciled us to himself and to one another. And we demonstrate to the world that we've been changed, not primarily because we memorize Bible verses, not because we pray before our meals, not because we tithe a portion of our income and listen to Christian radio stations. By the way, those are all good things. But we show the world that we're changed because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with and to forgive and even love a bunch of fellow sinners. Isn't that good? (laughs) In the midst of a group of sinners who have committed to loving one another, the gospel is displayed. The church gives this visual presentation of the gospel when we choose in this context to forgive one another as Jesus forgave us. When we commit to one another as Jesus has committed to us. And when we lay down our lives for one another as Christ lays down his life for us and together we can display the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that we can't do by ourselves. Jesus loves the local church. Jesus died for the local church. And the New Testament does not know the Christian apart from the local church. We close with a simple story, and our praise team will come here in just a moment. This one's going to sting a little bit, so curl your toes, all right? I was reading this this week, and Jesus was like, boy, you better get the paddle out because this one's going to hurt you said there was a group of men discussing the issue of involvement in the local church, and all of them were asking this question that we're answering today. Why do we have to gather anyways? 
There's so many other things I could do on a Sunday. Do I really have to go to church? You ever been there before? (laughs) Do I really have to go? Do I really have to go? And these old men are arguing about this when a pastor just happened to walk by them and they said, hey, pastor, we got a question for you. Pastor, don't you agree that you can get to heaven without belonging to a church, that you can get to heaven without being involved in a church? The pastor paused for a moment. He kind of looked off and he said, well, yeah, I believe it is possible for a person to go to heaven without belonging to a church, without regular involvement in a church. And the ringleader of that group of men spoke up and he said, see, I told you guys, I knew I was right all along. That pastor began to walk away. He only made it a few steps before he turned around. He said, gentlemen, actually, can I say one more thing? He said, I want to ask you a question. If you care nothing for being part of a church, that space, that sacred space that Jesus established where people get saved, people get baptized. We, you gather to sing the praises of God. You learn the things of God. You fellowship with the people of God. Why would you even want to go to heaven in the first place? Because if you don't want to be involved in all of those things in this life, I'm going to guess you're not going to enjoy doing it for eternity either. Why do we gather? Because if we're really following Jesus, we're doing what the word of God says. Scripture tells us over and over, we need to. We need it. Someone else needs you. And Jesus is worthy of the gathering. Let me pray for us as the praise team comes to lead us in song. God, thank you again for your word, for the privilege, Father, that we've had in the gathering of the local church. And God, I pray that today's message is not simply one of those gotcha messages, but Lord, that you would sincerely do a sanctifying work in our hearts right now. That God, in the what can be the mundane routine of the local church gathering, that we would begin to see with fresh eyes again the privilege that it is to be part of the called out ones that you've called to yourself that you've called to yourself and you've gathered us together to be equipped and commissioned to bring more people into the family of God. So may the local church gathering not simply be routine for us, but Father, may we view it as priority and privilege that we have because we're your people. God, I pray now as we do one of the main things we do as the church, as we sing And we sing the scriptures to not only give you praise, but to encourage one another that our voices would ring loudly in the corridors of heaven as we give you praise, Lord, and also ring loudly because we don't know who might need to hear our voice worshiping Jesus in this space. So God, we're grateful, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.